This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband can get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, I read Boundary Haunted by Melissa F. Olson. And I read Does the Noise in My Head Bother You by Steven Tyler. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And I haven't seen another human being in a couple weeks, so it's like, what's even going on out there? I took like a, uh, a break from social media and news and reports and email. Yeah, I did the same, and I also just like haven't left the house in a while. I wonder what's going on out there in the big wide world. We've just been vibing. Yeah. You know, gripping really and ripping. Mm-hmm. Really gripping it and ripping it. And we just have to say, like, I don't even... It seems quiet, but it's cool. I've just been playing a lot of video games. God, everyone seems really relaxed. Just chill. That's how so I had to chill. sum up the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks. It's just been yeah, very chill, normal, calm, calm. prepared. <laughs> just kidding. Just the, kidding. The world, the world is, is on, on fire. fire. <laughs> uh, everything's bad, and you know how there's those horror movies where you watch the person go into the corner, and you're like, "Why are you going into the corner? Don't go into the corner." Stop it. That's like the world. But also there's those horror movies where the protagonist sees through the antagonist and is like, this guy's evil, everybody. But for reasons, everybody else can't see that the antagonist is actually evil. And they're like, what are you talking about? Old Nosferatu? He's just like a weird <laughs> old man, you know? And the protagonist is like, why don't you see? That's what the world's like. Yeah. Um. I hope that... The fact that we have a Bibliophile episode out is a welcome respite for some of you so that Ooh, you can hear... I, I don't. I hope you have so something else. So that you can hear some voices that are not the voices of your immediate family members if you also Over have not Skype. been able to leave the house yeah. in a while. <laughs> we should have probably put out like three in the time it took us to put out this one because I ain't got shit else to do. Uh, <laughs> but here we are with one. Do be told that's because Susan got me a very long book surprise also because i can't read quite as fast as you do because even though i also am at home all the time i still do technically have to work also asterisk over that susan reads faster than i do so she can't read faster than i can she can't read as much as i can pedantic corner very true we are here to bring you two more not great books uh from not our local library once again kindle editions get mm-hmm. this we couldn't go to our local library because it's closed because there's a pandemic and everything is closed everything is closed it is nice to order out like uh to go f- to take out and pick it up and be like i don't want to cook and instead of feeling lazy you feel like you've accomplished something yeah like we are single-handedly <laughs> saving the economy we are doing our good deed for the day by ordering a greasy fried chicken sandwich from our local bar. You know, Ken, I did tip 50%, 50%. So it it ended up being like a usual night out because we didn't have any beers. Yeah. So it did end up being just fine. Uh, But hey, here's to you service workers grocery store employees. Uh, Y'all are are the real MVPs. The oil that makes this machine go. And I'm sorry that... You still have to go to work and be terrified. Because I don't. Uh, as a teacher, I get to basically have summer break. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's That good. achievement gap, though. <laughs> yeah. Sorry in, like, three years when my juniors who don't know what World War One or Two is, uh, since we stopped right before that, uh, get to go out into that big, wide world gonna be great it's gonna be great there's nothing important that they need to learn in high school everything since the franco-prussian war has just been you know (laughs) whatever yeah i teach about the franco-prussian war because your boy forgot what an ap class wasn't anyway we are here to bring you uh the opposite of an ap class we're here to bring you steven tyler's autobiography 
So I would like, before you start, Mick, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I would like to share a little bit about why and how I came to choose this book. So you had already chosen my book. We revealed it at the end of last episode. Boundary Magic. Boundary Haunted, which doesn't make sense. And I was like, I gotta get something good. And so I was racking my brain trying to think, what's a genre that, A, we haven't done in a while, and B, Mick really hates. So that rules out romances, war books, because we've done both of those recently. And I love them. And murder mysteries, which you actually, I think, probably like the most out of the common bibliophile genres. Um, But also we've done a lot of them recently. So the other category that came to mind that we haven't done in a while that I know Mick particularly despises is celebrity autobiographies. Any autobiography. So I went to the Kindle store and I typed in celebrity autobiography and then I typed in sort, price, lowest to highest. (laughs) And after clicking through a few, I found, does the noise Noise in in my my head head bother bother you? By Steven Tyler. Lead singer of Aerosmith. And then I scrolled down to the reviews by folks who had purchased it, and they were all terrible. So I bought it for about a dollar, and here we are. Here we are. I will... So how was it, Vic? Did the, does the noise in his head bother you? Yeah. I will tell you that the reason I hate autobiographies is there's basically two ways an autobiography can go. An autobiography can be like all throughout my life. I've really had this theme going that I that has popped up over and over again. And to that, I say bullshit. That is not the way life works. It is just a collection of events that collide upon themselves, and you choose how you resort to them. And then the other option for an autobiography is here's a collection of events that I had to choose how it. I chose to react to them. And to that I say, that's fucking boring, and I don't want to read about that. So there's basically a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Steven Tyler's autobiography, Does the Noise in My Head Bother You? Not a title of an Aerosmith song, as I thought he was going to go with. Yeah. uh, Very much chooses to go the latter route. Here's a bunch of shit. That's it. That's the thing, is the bunch of shit. And I'm going to be honest. Oh. I was going to say, I feel like Dream On would have been a pretty... It has already been a book. He mentioned somebody else uh... in the band has used Dream On. And before we get to that, Susan, can you name how many people in Aerosmith? Four. No. Can you name the people in Aerosmith? Oh, I know how that... How many people? I know that That's there are four That's actually also not true. Oh, okay. I just guessed I and you said it you... really confidently. I thought you meant you could name four people. No, I... Steven Tyler. That's One. all. That's all that I got. Here's here's uh, mixed contribution. Joe Perry. That's it. I read a whole book about his band members, and I can't bring them to mind. There's a guy named uh... shit. I lost There's it. No, nope. probably a guy named Dave. There's not a guy named. There is a one of his managers was named Dave. I was I gonna think. say I'm sh- I'm Dave. sure at some point. Oh, that's an inside joke. There's a, in the room there's a Dave. There's got to be a Dave in every story. Yeah, that's what I say. That's what I always say. When you think about it. <laughs> um, also, I'd like to bring out that Steven Tyler is known for his lead man looks. His his lead singer looks. He is a sex symbol. And I is have, he. Yes, very much so. He was named Playgirl's Sexiest Man of the Year. Oh, Lord. Okay. So what we're going to look at, I believe, is the different versions of Steve Tyler. And I hope I've got them in the right order. So we're going to look at... Do you want me to close my eyes? Yes. Okay. We do have them in the right order. Okay. Okay. So this is Steve Tyler in 1970, right before Aerosmith gets famous. Okay. Okay. Now, notice... A lot of hair happening here. A lot of hair happening. I'm going to get to that because that's... Aerosmith's like a uh, oeuvre. No, not their oeuvre. They're a hair they're, band. They're, they're not, though. They're, they're not a hair band? They're not... They are the, like, primordial hair band. And I'm going to get The platonic ideal with the hair no, band. No, they're not the best hair band. But they're the, like, the uh, Neanderthal of hair bands. They okay. are the evolutionary center okay. of hair bands. okay. Um, I just is... want to say we we have to post all of these pictures on our Twitter. Sure. Interested parties will need um, to see. What's, if you had to sum up Steven Tyler in one word in the 1970s, what would you sum him up as? Effeminate. Wow. 
I'm proud of you because he is proud of that fact. And frankly, good for him. Good for him. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not saying that like derogatorily. He is wearing what appears he's to be also a doing jeweled, a very feminine and it's gesture. like a, a jeweled bracelet, yeah. um, very flowy top. Um, yeah. The, well, this is the last the time hair. I saw him at the top, I think. He is very effeminate. Yeah. And, and he's into being like, yeah, I'm a feminine. I yeah. got laid a whole bunch. I'm a feminist now. <laughs> I got a 10 inch wiener. I'm a feminine. It's fine. Good job, Stephen Tyler. Good job, Stephen Tyler. If I had to sum him up in one word in this picture, it would be mouth. Yeah, he, he has, has one of the biggest mouths I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. Like a, a Nate Roosh kind of mouth. Bigger than Nate Roosh for sure. Yeah. And froggier. What is it with him and uh, Mick Jagger, who, when young, looked like a uh, Luke Skywalker, but not as on top of it? Like Mark Hamill? Like Mark Hamill, yes. Oh, yeah, he does kind of look like Mark Hamill when he gets young. Yeah, or this one. Yeah. So, what is it with, like, the big 60s, pouty lips. 60s and 70s big-ass mouths? Uh, okay, so... That's the 70s. So we open the story on Steven Tyler just sort of fucking rambling. And I opened this book and was like, oh my God. Because if you had to expect Steven Tyler's brain to be one thing, it would be like burned with acid and cocaine, right? <laughs> yes, that's And that's correct. exactly how he writes. And frankly, I believe him, everything he says, because it's like, yeah, somebody who did not take as many drugs as you say you took would not write like this. So this is page two, location 69. Nice. nice. I remember once my mother telling me when I said I wanted to be like Janis Joplin, quote, if you manifest the light, you will become a dartboard for others' fears, doubts, and insecurities. And if you can handle that, Stephen, my little skeezix, you may have your blue army. Now, <laughs> what? I'm not done yet. And guess what? I got both barrels. Now, he's saying that his mother in the 1950s, when he was a child, because he's born in 1948, which is weird to yeah, think about. Yeah, that's wild. He's saying that in the 1950s, his mother said, hey, I've got the nickname for your fans in yeah. the 1970s and 80s. You're going to be a member of those fans. Now, that's not right. But any user, <laughs> I fan. Moving on to page two the next page that's why i'm a songwriter because i've lived through the changes of not knowing anything which is in all caps dot 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 to knowing everything dot 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 and now at 63 i'm back to not knowing nothing and when your mind is free of so-called knowledge it is now set free to use its imagination like albert einstein once said imagination is more important than knowledge he this is basically for better or worse especially in the front half. Okay, Boomer, the book. Yeah. Because this reads like a coked-out hippie grandfather. And that's exactly... He's trying to share his wisdom with the youth of America. That's exactly what Stephen Tyler is, is a coked-out hippie grandfather. Radio plays your song. The melody is so catchy that it crawls inside of the people listening and changes their title case everything they start singing it you got into them you made love to them you got into their soul dot 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 and vice versa oh it's like vuja day and that's when the miracle manifests dot 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 you're trading faces places spaces and graces <laughs> now i don't know if it'll come up a lot in the quotes that i'm about to read to you but steven tyler bases his lyric writing upon one thing rhyming and that's yes. it and he continues to uh, write his autobiography as this. Woo! Susan almost tipped over. Do too, Finn. All right, moving on. So he starts this autobiography, as many autobiographies do, is talking about his childhood. His childhood is in New York and Queens and the Bronx, uh, uh, you know, alternatively to an Italian family who also owned, like, a resort in New Hampshire. So he's rich. His family seems to be. Yeah. But uh, he never brings it up as if he was. He always talks about himself as a nature, uh, like a nature kid. But at the same time, this is the 60s and, or the 40s and 50s. And I assume that real estate was much cheaper back then. But anyway, he goes through his childhood and he talks about hearing, you know, what we would consider just like old time, boring ass music. And his dad was a classical pianist and it really informed his his views on music. Mm -hmm. uh, so talking about his his 
parents a little bit. And if God's in the details, and we know she is, then I'm the perfect combination. I'm the N in my parents' DNA. What? I don't know. So if anyone's mad at me and calls me a dick, I know they really mean Fort Dix. My daughter Chelsea always thought God was a woman from the day she was born. It was so nurturing hearing that from a child that God would have to be a woman that I just never questioned it. No wonder I keep watching Oprah. And so during the beginnings of this book, I hated it because it was just a coked out. Well, and it's just so stream of consciousness. Like his sentences are going a hundred different ways all at the same time. So there's chapters like I looked at the title. I looked at the cover of this book and there was no ghostwriter on the cover. And then on the inside, it's like, oh, it's David Dalton is the ghostwriter. And then I started reading. I'm like, what did he even do? (laughs) Did he spell check? Was that what David Dalton's job was? It's just burnt with acid all over. <laughs> it is just a a novel length, longer than a novel. This yeah, went on for a, a while. One. Mick woke up at about three in the morning one night, just couldn't sleep. Wonder why? Is there something going on in the world that makes you Some not sort want to sleep? Some sort of anxiety inducing. Uh, and he read this book for about two hours and he started at like 19%. Yeah. After reading for two hours, what I got up was only at 41%. Yeah. And was very angry it about just, it. It just keeps going. It is like, I believe that Steven Tyler did that much cocaine because this book reads like somebody trying to give you a business idea on cocaine. It just goes all over the place. And so I was like, what did the ghostwriter even do here? I said that I hated it because the beginning of it just keeps going and going. When he's talking about history, it's just off. When he's talking about his own life, when you tell it like a story, you need to tell that story and stay focused. More or less chronologically, yeah. And he's just going all over the place. So most humans who are... This is in the story about... Yeah, Mick, not going all over the place. Well, Okay. (laughs) I don't even know where in the story this is, which is not good because I'm going to read you an entire paragraph. Most humans who are painting for gold, looking for that ecstatic moment, first find it in their own sexuality. Then they have an orgasm and whoops, it's over. Now imagine someone exploring, perhaps in church of their destiny. He stumbles upon a cave and out of sheer curiosity crawls inside and then looks up. It's all glittering and sparkling and for that moment I was in Superman's North Pole Crystal Palace clave and the crystals resonated with Mother Earth's birthing cries. I have no idea. That sentence changed tense from the second person to the third person to the first person in one sentence. It's a whole lot. Anyway, here's another quote. God and sound and sex and the electric world grid. It's all connected. It's pumping through your bloodstream. God is in the gaps between the synapses. Vibrating, pulsating, pulsating. That's eternity, baby. (laughs) I have no context for you because there was no context for it originally. Going on. If there's a fifth, sixth dimension. If? Oh, come on. Anyway, it must be something like what you see on acid. Thank you, Stephen Tyler. <laughs> Stephen Tyler. So I, I, that was actually going to be one of my next questions is how upfront is he about his drug use? Now, he, the drug use is a different thing in this book because he is of that very rare kind of former drug at former with a question mark, uh, parody, uh, not libel, um, that... Is like, hey, no, for real though, the drugs were great for me. I kind of overdid it, but like, no, they really helped me be happy and be creative and stuff. And so okay. he is like loving the effect that cocaine, snorting cocaine and snorting heroin had on his life as a, a rocker. And so wow. this is where we get into the world and appeal of Aerosmith as a music band. This is why there is not a Steven Tyler biopic. Because to make a good, like, walk hard kind of movie, you need, they need to, there needs to be a redemption arc. They have to feel bad about it. Like, it's not going to be a compelling story if he's like, yeah, it was great. I did so many drugs. How else am I going to do all of that without cocaine? (laughs) Which, to be fair, if you watch videos of Steven Tyler, it's like, 
how else are you going to do that but on a bunch of cocaine? Yeah. So he basically talks about doing a bunch of cocaine, a whole bunch, and heroin, a whole bunch, and just sort of whatever drugs will come in front of him, he's willing to do. I'm starting to worry that we have the window open while we're having this conversation. As a kid, he did, like, speed. Okay. He's the... He's who Dare told you about that started on weed and it was a great gateway drug. Yeah. A gateway drug as I think of it. But when you think about Aerosmith, it's all like, yuck-a-cow! And everything. And, and very high energy. Oh, and yeah, for sure. Here's the thing about it is it's still pretty good it's a pretty good band oh sure yeah aerosmith it, is pretty good it's a vibe i mean there's good there's it's it's it is enjoyable to listen to and to go to go back to my original point that i said was going to come later aerosmith set the table for a lot of hair bands your motley crew your poison mm-hmm. your your rat uh but aerosmith if you go back and listen is like i think i'm gonna stake my thesis on this is the last rock and roll band like, if you go back and listen to everything before, yaka kaka cow and, like, uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady, then it's just, like, you listen to Sweet Emotion? That's yeah. just That's just, like, the last 70s rock and roll before we started getting all these, like, specific sort of variances. He talks that's about being true. contemporaries yeah. with, like, Led Zeppelin, which is weird to think about, because when you think about Aerosmith, you think about the decade of... The 80s or yes. maybe the early 90s. But Aerosmith got its start in the early in the 70s. 70s. Yeah. And so, like, some of their big hits, Sweet Emotion, for some reason, they decided to start with their Stairway to Heaven. Uh, yeah. And then Sweet Emotion was like their first big lasting hit. And then as they go on and do a bunch of cocaine, then we start getting in the yakka cow and everything like that. Actually, uh, Love in an Elevator and, uh, what's their other, uh, Dude Looks Like a Lady, yeah. uh, Ragdoll, Ragdoll, uh, are all made sober, which is kind of odd, but he still sounds like he's on cocaine. Yeah. Go back and I listen. I think it's kind of like Eric Nally in Faxi Shazam, which, like, I don't know if he does a lot of cocaine oh, or if he just are, sounds like he does. His bones are made, he acts like he does, his bones are made <laughs> out of cocaine. I love him very much. Um... But if you go back and listen to, what's the first one? Dream On. Go back and listen to Dream On. He does not sound like no, Steven Tyler. Not at all. Mick was, we were in the car the other day and we were talking about recording this episode. And Mick was like, I think I'm going to start listening to some aerospace to kind of, or aerospace, Aerosmith to kind of get me in the mood. And he turns on Dream On. And my first thought was to say, this isn't Aerosmith. <laughs> And then I remember that it is, and that I think is something that is actually really impressive about bands like Aerosmith is that if you look through, like, pull them up on Spotify right now and look through all of the albums that they have, like, they got their start in the early 70s and were rolling through the early 90s. Yeah. Like, they made a ton of music. And here's the thing is that they, like, you listen, to, you think about and you listen to hair metal and it's all L.A., right? It's L.A., it's San Diego, it's California, and you go out on the strip and you have these big, huge things. Aerosmith was the most popular with, like, Detroit and Cincinnati. Like, yeah. they were blue-collar fans, and that's why the Blue Army was the nickname and mm-hmm. why the mom in the 1950s apparently knew that was going to happen according oh, to his yeah, memoir. Yeah. And so Aerosmith is a respectable ass sort of rock and roll band. Like, they aren't hair metal, you know, magazine poseurs. Yeah. But anyway, Steven Tyler continues to do his acid uh, sort of stream of consciousness. By saying, there are secrets to rock, just as there are secrets about making love to your wife or girlfriend. Do you come at the same time? I'm not going to (laughs) ask. But I will tell you that some of the finer moments in my life were making love to a woman and coming together. There's an ancient magic ritual to this. If right before both of you come, you will make a pact or say a prayer and focus that thought, sweet Jesus, which if if you're Steven Tyler... You probably shouldn't be praying to the Christian God if you're having sex. <laughs> I want you to send this light to cure an illness to achieve some deep purpose in your life. It will happen because there's no power on earth stronger than that. That's the secret. Also, he then says, there's electromagnetic theory behind it. Is there? Is there really? Is there Stephen Tyler? That just Tyler? sounds like the secret. All right. When you think about it. Let's get into 19, I believe this is 1980 Stephen Tyler. 
Oh, wow. So you can see that there have been a lot of drugs. Um, first, I would like to comment on his outfit, which appears to be made out of velvet? Question I would say velour. Velour, yes. It looks like a suit made out of a bathrobe. And it has a lot of embellishments on it. Uh, his hair is looking pretty worse for wear. Yeah, and his entire being is just... It just... <laughs> Steven gaunt. Tyler is a gaunt. Steven mm-hmm. Tyler is our last major uh, person to just look like drugs. Yeah, he really is. And like I said, you got to admit, he fucking kicks some ass sometimes. Like his songs are pretty oh, damn yeah, good. Oh yeah, for sure. But, you you asked me the first photo to say what is the word that I would use to describe, and I said effeminate. This one, the word is gaunt. Gaunt. Everything right. about it I is still gaunt. Say mouth. Here's the thing about Aerosmith's songs, though. He's the songwriter for the most part, although he lists a couple helps that the studio gives him. But when you stop and you read Aerosmith's songs as he puts their lyrics into this uh, memoir, they sound really dumb. Because it it turns out that... Most... uh, Not most. A lot of song lyrics, when you say them or, like, read them, sound really dumb. Exactly. There's a part of music that this is, I don't think controversial that much of music is in the singing so sweet emotion which kicks major butt uh starts you're so bad you're so bad you're so you're so bad you're so bad you're so you think you're in love like it's a real sure thing but every time you fall you get your ass in a sling you used to be strong but now it's oh baby please because falling in love is so hard on the knees and it's like Okay, it was a really good uh, song, but then you had to spell it out, and it doesn't really sound like that good of a song anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it doesn't ru- like read like good song. It sounds like good song, but it doesn't read. Anyway, I got. I will be honest with you, Sue. I didn't finish this book because it, it kept going. I didn't take a new note since about ten percent in. Okay. Um. But I will tell you, it got better as it went. Once we got up until he started talking about, like, what our tours actually like, not how did Aerosmith get formed, not yeah. what were the drugs you all did, not how many preteen girl or not how many high school girls did you have sex with, yeah. which was concerningly many. Yeah. Uh, but instead, like, present tense, here's what a day on tour looks like. I was laughing. I was having fun. Like, yeah. I that's what you want to know from Steven Tyler, not necessarily what was your... Maybe some people do. And to that I ask, who? Well, who and that's and the thing, too. Is, what was Steven Tyler's childhood like? I feel like you talked about, like, you don't necessarily want to hear about how Aerosmith got together. I feel like the kind of people who read Steven Tyler's autobiography, other than us, are people who know something about the band and are fans. And they presumably know how Aerosmith got together So, yeah, like, that does make sense that that would be what you would want to hear as a fan. It's like, what was it like when you were on tour? Like, that that makes sense. He did this one chapter that was basically just like a a moment-to-moment summary of his, if there was a concert that day, what does he do? Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. Because he's like, at 7.15, I have to eat something because if I don't eat before I go on stage, like, I crash. Like, even after the drugs and everything. Uh, and then I do some yoga and do some like physical warm ups because he's such yeah. a physical performer yeah. that like I will strain myself. I'm getting friggin' old, yeah. and it hurts to run around that much. And, and he was pretty jump great. off of yeah. things and kick and exactly. Yeah. He says his, his knees and his feet are all fucked up because <laughs> he's been doing that for so long. I was like, yes, this is great. And then they get back at like two in the morning, and by the time you look at it, it's been a twelve and a half hour day already. Yeah. Of course, like six of those hours were in the dressing room and everything, but still. And so that I loved, and maybe at the end he got more to, like, here's how I made the the music video to Armageddon where it looks like I want to have sex with my daughter. But <laughs> yeah. I, I, I couldn't stand it because he just kept being fucking boomer grandpa, burnt out on acid, which, to, like, you earned. I don't want to say you earned it. But, but that's kinda, the life sorta, you lived. That's the life you lived, and that's the that's your truth, and live it. And I will never forget you, Stephen Tyler, for being the cause of that one of the best MGM uh, Disney rides, the Aerosmith ride. Did have you ever been to the MGM? I've never been to Disney or any of the associated parks. What? <laughs> Did you not know this? About no, me? I was ne- born in Florida, and I've no. Never I knew been. that because you go downstairs when there's a tornado, but you've never been <laughs> no. to Disney World or Land. No, I don't even like it, and I am appalled. 
We've never Disney been. World can eat butt, <laughs> but still, you've never been I've at never been. all? I've never been at all. My sister had a phase. I hear flights are cheap. Let's go. My sister had a phase in her life for about five or six years where she kept accidentally winding up at Disney World. Like, she would text me and she'd be like, guess where I am right now? And I would be like, Disney World? And then she would send me a photo of her at Disney World. Um, She's been, I think, four or five times, maybe more. I've never been. I've never been to Disney World. One of my earliest childhood memories is at Disney World, and it's not even about Disney. It's about me being so excited that there's a pool that I run straight into the deep end, forgetting that I didn't know how to swim. And so my dad has to jump in after me and pull me out. This is before cell phones, thank goodness. But his wallet was in his pants. And so I haven't heard the end of that much. But anyway... You also found out that you were an accident in Disney World. That was a different Disney World trip. Thanks for bringing it up, much like my mother. Uh... <laughs> to be fair, now that I think about it, the only times I went to Disney World were because I went with my mom, who was chaperoning marching band trips. I never really put that together that those are the only times. Anyway, there's an yeah. MGM part of the park, and one of the rides of the MGM part of the park is an Aerosmith ride where you have to get to the show on tour or whatever, and there's mm-hmm. cocaine everywhere. No, okay. not really. Um, but you're in the limo, and so I remember being relatively new. When would that have been? 2004, 2006, something like that. And I remember being relatively new and you sit and instead of like leaving on the roller coaster and going up and then the down part is the fun fast part, the Aerosmith ride shoots you out. Like you go at like 60 right away. That's really cool. And it was really fun. And so that's what I'm going to remember Aerosmith for. Anyway, here is the most up-to-date picture of Steven Steven Tyler I could find. Wherein he looks like an elderly lesbian. <laughs> he really does. And more power to him because he's still on tour. Yeah, I he's think. got a man he has a bun. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, if it wasn't for the mustache and the goatee, he's just got a frog of a mouth. <laughs> he really does. I I Yaka really I need you to to share these photos. I should not with have the closed. episode. That's that's a lot. I love it. Yeah, he's, okay. he's had a path. Anyway, so that's Does the Noise in My uh, Head Bother You? Uh, something like that by Steven Tyler. Ragdoll by Aerosmith goes like this. Ragdoll, living in a movie. Hot tramp, daddy's little cutie. He's so fine, I never see you leaving on the back door. Man. Anyway, Susan, you had border... Boundary, Boundary Haunted. Haunted. By Melissa F. Olsen. Effelson. Can you tell me how you found this book? I honestly can't. I okay. saw it on Amazon as a Kindle exclusive, which is always a good sign, and its name is fucking Boundary Haunting. Which doesn't make it's not, sense. It's not. No, English doesn't work that way. This book opens with the main character realizing that her rescue dogs are getting old and might die soon. I know, but thankfully they they don't know. They, at the very end, she goes back home and they're happy to see her and everything's fine and they're going to live forever because dogs live forever. Um, She's a boundary witch. As you are. Uh, Our main character's name is Lex Luthor. It's an old army nickname. Her, Her first name is Allison, but she goes by Lex. It's an army nickname from her time in Iraq where... Uh, she used to shave her head, so they called her Lex Luthor. Susan, can you tell me anything about the comic book character Lex Luthor? Uh, he's from Superman. He's the bad guy. That's that's about as much as I know. Okay. Um, as a boundary witch, my magic involved the line between life and death, which had some odd ramifications on my life. Boundary witches have a special connection with vampires, which was how I'd ended up dating one, and we can see ghosts at night. I'd also <laughs> I'd awesome. also died several times and been brought back by my own magic. My best friend Lily called me death resistant, and it was as good a description as any. Now, I'm going to tell you what I thought boundary magic was, and then you can continue telling me what it is. Okay. I thought it was like, hey, this is a magical fence. And nobody can cross this magical fence. Nope, that's normal witches. Boundary witches don't do that. <laughs> normal witches do fences. Yeah, they call them words. 
But what boundary? But boundary <laughs> witches. Nope. Witches, any kind of witches, have a window of time around puberty when they need to perform some sort of a spell to activate their magic. Normally, that could be anything. A cleaning charm, a practical joke, hex, a ward, whatever. Boundary witches, on the other hand, have to die. And if they want to create a new generation, they eventually have to kill their own children. Not many parents are willing to murder their kids for a power that's basically considered a curse. She is a twin who's dead that just kind of follows her around and she talks to her sometimes. Her name is Sam. So what you're telling me is, once we read the next phase of Otherworld... We're starting this we're one. We're starting Boundary Magic. Actually, I think it would be very fun to read. Oh, man. She, one time in, I think the first book, this is not the first book, she uses mm. her Boundary Magic to raise someone from the dead, and now the dead can talk to her. Mm. Um, the whole second chapter is just the main character helping her aunt move. It's really thrilling. Super exciting. Wow. Um... She <laughs> is in league with a vampire called Maven who wants to send Lex to Atlanta to help a cardinal vampire of in Atlanta. It's in Atlanta. Because the ghosts that live in the cemetery where he hosts his events have gone missing. So he oh, wants no. the boundary witch to come find his missing ghosts. Donde están mi ghosts? Um, he hosts his events in this cemetery where he demands blood payment from young witches in Atlanta. But the only witch clans that he demands blood payment from are young witches of color, not the older white witch clans. So we get into some race politics in this book. I can't tell if that's... And I have a lot to say about racist it. Racist or empowering? I mean, the the vampire's racist as hell. Oh, like in the in the book or yeah, the concept? Yeah, in, okay. in the book, yeah. Um... And she, so, like, I will say this for this author, the um, the main character, like, calls it out often. She said, there was one common factor. Almost every single vampire present was white. I'd read somewhere that the population of Atlanta was more than 50% black, but I saw only a handful of non-whites, and most of them were probably mixed race. It looked like Atlanta's old world didn't reflect the diverse, trendy city that Bo had described. I wasn't sure what that meant, but it couldn't be good. So she goes to Atlanta to help this old-timey vampire find his missing ghosts, and she's trying to solve the mystery. Is there a new-timey vampire? Uh, Edward Cullen, I guess. Well, uh, asked well and answered. apparently Edward Cullen was originally born in, like, the 1800s. So is there, like, a millennial vampire? I mean, Manali. Yeah, with yeah. her scarf. She's a... She's and a, her thick-framed glasses on Tumblr all the time. Yeah. Damn millennials. Always drinking a latte. I have a problem with the racist vampire choosing to drink people of color's blood. Because if we look at racists, they'd be like, oh, white blood is better and drink it. It doesn't make sense to indulge in blood. Then again, Thomas Jefferson. So, (laughs) nothing really stacks up to logic here. No. Turns out racism. Yeah. Illogical. (laughs) So, um, I do want to point out a couple moments of just th- this this was a very other world in the fact that every chapter they would drop in a chunk of just absolutely batshit backstory that you would get a paragraph of it with no context and then they would move on batshit backstory back batshit backstory batshit backstory is bsbs oh so we can call it that for short okay time. Uh, Hazel had been shot after Simon and Lily's eldest sister, Morgan, had made a grab at their mother's leadership role in the state. Morgan. Morgan had been stopped and captured in Cheyenne, but before Maven and the witches could decide what to do with her, a group of armed men had arrived at the Peller farm and tried to rescue her. Both Morgan and Hazel had been killed in the firefight. Simon blamed himself because he pushed me to bring Morgan back to Boulder alive. I blamed myself because I'd actually done it, even though I had known it was a risky and futile action. Maven, and by extension Quinn, had shown up at the farmhouse too late to save Hazel, so even he shared in the guilt. Only Lily was completely blameless, yet she was the one who had to carry the burden of Hazel's responsibilities. I don't know who any of those people are. I feel like this is the literature equivalent of, like, putting your elbow on the table and your chin on your hand and just watching as someone tells you a story and be like, yeah. Describing her friend Tobias, who's a werewolf, his former alpha had seriously fucked with his head using tack 
packed magic. Tamora packed magic. We gotta find out what packed magic is. This has got to be the next other world. I had killed most of the Malites Mortis, including Lysander That's and dead. even my half brother Amol. That group had spent generations raping and imprisoning dead. young women like my birth mother, all to promote boundary magic bloodlines. Malites, like know. little bads. Was Milites in Latin, you figure? Because Mortes is definitely dead. Something like military? Possibly. Like war? Like the war dead? Militant. Mmm. The, the militant, militant dead. The militant dead. Do you want to start a band called the Militant <laughs> Aerosmith? <laughs> um, one thing yeah, that I, I also I thought was really funny is that, so like, you're the way that this particular scene was set up, you could tell it was going to end on a cliffhanger because I was almost to the end of the chapter. And she is with Tobias. They're searching the grounds of the vampire's property and he has found something and he brings her over to show her. I walked toward him and shone the flashlight down. In my head, I was expecting a weapon or maybe some spell supplies. So at first I thought Tobias was showing me something that had been discarded among the plants. It wasn't until I crouched down that I understood he wanted me to see the plants themselves. Holy shit, I whispered. I was squatting in the middle of a massive patch of mandragora. Oh, I thought it was going to be marijuana. We don't know what mandragora is, so it kind of lessens the power of that cliffhanger when you're like, cool, <gasps> What what's that do? What, what does that do, though? It's not quite as bad. What does as, that do? It's not quite as bad as womanagora. Yeah. Yeah. Misogynagora. Um, is that the one where you pull it out of the ground and a baby yells at you? <laughs> Yeah. Okay, good. So, someone is stealing all of the ghosts and putting them oh, no. in bottles and then... Damn it, Vankler. Breaking the bottles to create spirit bombs. That's how it works. I've been looking for, on the anarchist cookbook, for how to create spirit bombs forever. <laughs> I've been sticking, like, you know, shirts into bottles of the ghosts and lighting them and throwing them. <laughs> It's just been, how do I make spirit bombs? Winston never told me. Mm-hmm. Those are the two Ghostbusters names I know. Good job. Uh, there are a Slimer. lot of references in this book, Mick, to the Civil War. And given that uh, this Atlanta. book is set in Atlanta and we have an old-timey white vampire, uh, do, do you want to guess how he, how he feels about the Civil War? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> That was perfect. Thank Good you. Job. Uh, he, refers, okay. he refers to the Civil War, just to set the tone, as the war between the states. Naturally. Like you do. Very, very seriously, though, that is how it's taught. In the South. I know. Still. I know. I know this. Um, <sighs> they're discussing Civil War monuments and relics, of which he and has many because be he down. was a soldier in the Civil War. What a fucking racist. Uh, and he... She says, um, he's talking about the monuments and the relics, and she says, you say that like it's a good thing, like having them around is beneficial. Of course it's beneficial, he snapped. They are a testament, Miss Luther, an uncomfortable reminder of the hubris and cruelty of men and the terrible cost we paid in blood. And then To keep people as property. Yeah. Then he's talking about, are you aware of George's history during the war? I didn't have to ask which war he meant. It was pretty obvious that Bo still had one foot in the past. Just what every kid learns in public high school. He nodded, his face disappointed but resigned. Many, many ghosts were made during the siege of Atlanta, as you probably saw in your Fuck way no, here. there wasn't a siege? Are you kidding me? Sherman <laughs> showed up and said, hey, I'm going to burn your city down. And they said, please don't burn our city down. <laughs> and he said, you shouldn't have fucking started this war and <laughs> set it on fire. Yeah. That's exactly how it went. Yeah. Oh. It wasn't just the trauma of a violent death. The dead also suffered the indignities of a disrespect. I didn't read this book. I will say the author does a good job because like this is the character. Like he is this this is racist. how he thinks. Yes, he's this racist Confederate Old soldier. Dark. And the main character is having none of it. And, like, you get to hear her thoughts as she's reacting to it, her pushing back on him. So, like, they, I, it's actually, like, I, I, I enjoyed it, um, parts of it. But 
like this character is pretty despicable. Now, we should still have despicable characters in fiction because to make everybody a good person that would be very boring. So to hear that the narrator and the conscience of the yeah. book is pointing out how yes. terrible it is, is I am relieved. We feel better. Sometimes yeah. authors use their characters as mouthpieces for their own like uh insider consciences and yeah. I'm glad to hear that that's not the case. Yeah. Okay. Um, they're in a Civil War cemetery and they see a statue of a lion. The lion was incredibly expressive, even mournful, and after a moment I saw that it was lying on a draped Confederate flag. This, I realized with some disgust, must be how Bo saw the Confederacy, doomed and noble and dignified. And so I, what I like about the narrator's reaction to it is that she's trying to understand where he's coming from. Like, this is how he sees the Confederacy, but she is dis- Disgust. still disgusted by yeah. it. So I like that they drew that balance. Um, there were also some pretty good funny one-liners. Uh, he smiled, displaying two rows of crooked white teeth. Vampires had access to plenty of teeth whiteners, but I'd never yet met one who tried braces. <laughs> the whole neighborhood looked like it had been designed by a focus group of rich white people with an unlimited budget. <laughs> um, when they learn about the spirit bottles, uh, they learn that Bo's family used to make these spirit bottles and use them as bombs. And he says, that's hoodoo, Bo protested. African magic. My people wouldn't practice that. I managed not to roll my eyes. Ah, racism. <laughs> uh, she is originally I'm coming from, around. She is from Colorado. She lives in Boulder. And she references at one point that Colorado smells like wool, patchouli, and chalk dust, which I thought was pretty funny. What's the chalk dust? Can you, like, doesn't that make you think of, like, the rock climbing hippies that we, uh, that were at college? Okay, I get yeah. it. I was thinking, like, some sort of pentagram Oh, reference. no. Uh, as with many, mo- so they're. Yeah, around in college. <clears throat> <clears throat> That's how I know what weed smells like. <clears throat> um, they wind up, like, as they're getting ready for the final confrontation, as with many military operations, the plan took about four minutes, or it took about four minutes for the plan to go straight to hell, which was funny. Um, just to quickly summarize the plot, which was not really the important thing about the book. Um, the important thing was the fact that it's called Boundary the, Revealed. The person who is stealing the ghosts, putting them in bottles, and turning them into bombs is Bo's great, 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 great grandniece, who lives with him and he is like her caretaker she's a college age student and she resents him because he won't let her do basically anything like or he won't let her do whatever she wants she's kind of spoiled so she decides that she's going to ruin his life um Mm. and then they catch her and that's about it uh she's in a sorority at alabama i mean probably so there is a little bit of a redemption arc at the end for Bo, the vampire, the Confederate. He, uh, you're looking very skeptically at me, but let me read you some things. This is a long one. You didn't finish the war? She asks him. No, and that is the thing for which I am most grateful. He took in my look of surprise. You thought I would lament the loss of the Confederacy? He shook his head. Ours was not a just cause, Miss Lex. Mm. But I didn't know it then. I fell for all the Southern propaganda. He gave a little head shake. I'd never even met a slave. I had a job working for the railroads just like my father did, which I don't buy that. But oh, shit, you're rich. But we were told it was the Second Revolutionary War and we needed to protect the Southern way of life. He stared morosely into the display. We were so full of manufactured patriotism and self-righteousness that we never questioned if the Southern way of life was an honorable one. So, again, I said a bit of a redemption arc. I don't buy it, but I think, so, like, what I like is how they, so, the main character, Lex Luthor, served in Iraq. <laughs> she says, I felt a swell of compassion then. I just want to pause the fact that you just said, like, the main character, Lex, Lex Luthor, and just threw that, like, nothing. I'd misjudged Bo, assuming all this time that his obsession with the Civil War was the result of nostalgia. It probably is. But I knew what it was. I knew what it felt like to realize you might have been on the wrong side of a war. Oh, shit. Or at least that the reasons you'd been given had been lies. Ah, hot dang. And then she kind of goes into, like, the how Iraq that, War is uh, fucking yeah, terrible. Yeah, and that yeah. what she was told as a, a person in the army... Yeah at that time, was not what it actually was. And so, wow. that's... Yeah. I'd say that she gets the better redemption arc. She Well, I don't think she needed a redemption arc is the thing. Um, but I, I like that... 
I like that they connected it to, like, her past to kind of make her seem more complicated because one of the things when I when I first started reading, I was like, is this going to be, like, super jingoistic because she's ex-military? They actually handled it really, Such really well. a professional well. killer. They actually handled it really well. She's not treated as a professional killer. Um, she, like, talks a lot about, like, the really complicated relationships that you have with the people that you serve with. Because uh, um, they're not great because they're people. Yeah, 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 but you, like, experience this really intense thing that also when you come back, not a lot of other people can relate to. So you can only turn to those not great people. Yeah, to, yeah. So there there were a lot of things in here that I really liked. I would not mind if after we are done with the, our other world that we we try out one of these, maybe. I, there, I don't think there's, like, 22 of them like there are that with the Asmund Gallinorin's books, yeah. but... Speaking of, we have had a request from loyal listener and sometimes co-host Michelle Johnson. I would say frequent co-host Michelle that Johnson. That we try out doing some social distancing podcasting oh. and that we finish Otherworld because our next three Otherworld books will be our last three. We're pretty sure. We don't, I don't think any of us have ever seen a definitive answer on this. They're but... at least the last ones for now because the last book, the Manali book, came out in early 2019 and there's no coming soon. And there's been like four other types of books by Jasmine yeah. Gallinor. And she by turns those things out like... Cocaine Dragon. Yeah. Yeah. Like a Steven Tyler of books. <laughs> so, um, sometime in the somewhat near future, I, you might see some... Next some, Sunday uh, AD. Some other one. <laughs> there was Mike a Nelson girl named Manoli. Oh, we went two different eras. Anywho, I think that's going to do us for Bibliophile this week. Of yeah. Ish, this time, I guess, because we usually record over longer than a week. I hope you guys are staying sane, staying uh, safe out there as much as possible. Uh, it's weird. Yeah. So, any hooser, read some bad books, get mad at the world, throw a tennis ball at the wall about how I don't care if the ghosts are in a bottle or not. Because, frankly, I gotta say, it's like popping a zip. Worst of all cases, Jackbox games work over Google Hangouts. You can always play those. For sure. Uh, and if you're looking for some fresh Twitter follows. You can find me at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's, S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. I love the idea that someone is listening to the show without already following us on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. That is kind of funny. Anyway. Eat uh, the rich. 